Welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. This is show number 75 for the week of July 13th, 2008. I'm your host, Lou Mangiello, bringing you the very best ways to enjoy and enhance your Walt Disney World vacation experience in a fun, always family-friendly weekly show. We're going to begin this week with news from around Walt Disney World about some enhancements, additions, and some closings happening around the park. This week, we have another Top 10 segment but one that's just a little bit different from some of the ones we've done in the past. Tim Foster is going to join me once again, but this time we're going to look at the top 10 smells of Walt Disney World, and it's not going to be all about food, I promise, as there are some amazing scents that I'm sure you'll agree make you think of or enjoy Walt Disney World. It's been a few weeks since I've answered some of your listener emails on the air, so Jeff Pepper is going to join me to respond to many of your questions, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. In this week's Walt Disney World news, I'm going to jump around the resort just a bit as there is a lot to cover. First, the end of September is going to mark not just the end of Pleasure Island as we know it, But a stage show is going to close as well, because over in Disney's Animal Kingdom, the Pocahontas and her Forest Friends live show is going to close permanently on September 27th. No replacement is currently planned for the outdoor theater. The show ran for about 10 years, was geared mainly towards children and featured live animals as part of the cast. There has been speculation for some time that the show might be nearing the end of its run, but again, nothing is planned for that venue as of now. And while some of Pocahontas' forest friends may be looking for work, Timon, right next door over at the Festival of the Lion King show, just received a welcome upgrade. He's one of the first of the new shower characters to be given the new animatronic enhancement to his face, which means that now he can move his mouth and blink his eyes, etc. As I'll mention later on during the email section of the show, he is one of the first of the new enhancements following those that were implemented for the characters like Mickey and Minnie, over in the Dream Along with Mickey Castle show in front of Cinderella Castle. School may be out for the summer, but that's going to end not just for you students, but over at the studios as well, as High School Musical 2, School's Out, is going to have its final performance on September 13th, 2008. That's going to be replaced by, what else? High School Musical 3, senior year, with that new show opening on or about October 24th of this year. Back over in Disney's Animal Kingdom, Primeval World is going to be closed from September 2nd through November 15th for what's really a relatively long refurbishment. The two-and-a-half-month rehab seems to have what's being rumored as a quote-unquote retrofitting done, but the actual extent and scope of the rehab is not clear at this time. 
Now there are two tracks, but they are closing the entire attraction for that time. So Primeval World will be closed in its entirety while the refurb is taking place. Speaking of rehabs, the Walt Disney World website has confirmed the rumor that the Country Bear Jamboree in Frontierland is going to be closed from September 28th through October 31st of this year for a rehab and theater upgrade. Now, the extent of the upgrade and refurbishment is unclear, but it is expected that it will include improvements to the sound system. Disney has also announced the dates for the 13th annual Epcot International Food and Wine Festival. That's going to take place from September 26th through November 9th. I will have more details about the Food and Wine Festival as well as a planning show coming soon. Jumping back over to Disney's Hollywood Studios, the Toy Story characters meet and greet is going to be moved from Al's Toy Barn over to Pixar Place in the camera department section. And in addition to the move, the characters are also going to get more elaborate backdrops for photographs. Now in their place at the old Al's Toy Barn near the Muppet Vision 3D exit is rumored to be the new Cars meet and greet location as paperwork has recently been filed by Disney, which seems to reference a quote Cars character backdrop and that is the expected location for that new meet and greet. A new photo opportunity over at the studios as well also seems to be getting ready to confirm a possible rumor, which is that a Wally character may be coming to the studios as well. Over at the Magic of Disney Animation post show, you can now uh, take a picture with a Wally backdrop, but it is expected that later on this year, a real Wally will be available for photos there as well. Over at the resorts, the cabins at Disney's Fort Wilderness Resort have been reclassified and are now considered to be part of the moderate resort category. Now, what does this mean to you right now? Probably not very much, but it's going to be very interesting to see why it was done and what it may mean to you in the future. Confirming a rumor that I spoke about a few weeks ago, over in the Magic Kingdom, the Spectrum Magic Parade is not going to be performed from August 15th through August 29th of this year due to construction work on the Liberty Square Bridge. An additional 7 p.m. showing of the Disney Dreams Come True Parade is going to be performed in its absence during that time. Now, as expected, that parade is going to begin on Main Street, loop around the hub, and come back down Main Street USA until the bridge work is complete. For those of you that may need your early morning caffeine and or sugar fix before heading over to the Magic Kingdom, you'll be happy to hear that a new snack stand has been constructed over at the Transportation and Ticket Center within the past week or so. That currently sells coffee and pastries, give you your little burst of energy before you start your day in the parks. Dates for Disney's Night of Joy have been announced, which is going to take place over at Disney's Hollywood Studios for the first time. I'm going to put a link in this week's show notes over to the Disney website with the performers and more information. Also, the Eat to the Beat 2008 concert lineup has been announced that takes place during Epcot's International Food and Wine Festival from September 26th through November 9th. This year, 10 new Eat to the Beat acts and 8 returning bands are going to take their turn on the stage over at the American Gardens Theater. There will be concerts at 5.15, 6.30, and 7.45 p.m. daily. Those are free and included with your admission to Epcot. And just a couple of the names that you might recognize, or at least if you're of my generation, you might. Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, Sheena Easton, En Vogue, Pimo Bryson, John Cicada. Wow, I'm showing my age. Otis Day and the Nights, October 22nd through 23rd. If you've seen Animal House, you know who I'm talking about. Cool and the Gang, Expose, Boys to Men, Ladies, David Cassidy, Night Ranger, and Los Lobos, the guys from La Bamba, will be performing. 
I will put the full list and schedule in this week's show notes. And of course, if you have any news that you want to share, anything you want to report, or if you want to discuss anything you've heard here, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. You can call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW or discuss anything you've heard over in the forums at disneyworldtrivia.com. Many of you have written to me on a number of occasions about some different ideas for the show, including expanding on some existing segments that I've been doing. And a lot of you have sent in some possible suggestions for the next Top 10 with Tim segment, and some of which are definitely piqued my interest, say. So this week, Tim is going to do his best not to stink up the joint as we count down our list of not the sights or the sounds but the smells of Walt Disney World. So, of course, I want to welcome back Mr. Top Ten himself, Tim Foster, from GuideToTheMagic.com. Your introductions are getting better and better. I spend weeks week. on these things. <laughs> I was so tempted to come in here and say, I thought this was the Samantha Brown show, but I didn't. You see that? So. You got to mix it up, Tim. You got to keep, keep the people engaged. So, Samantha Brown, that was so three weeks ago. Oh well, <laughs> so, but yeah, we. Um, but I'm still reeling. I just. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> you, um, you and I have come up with, especially you have come up with some some things I thought were, were relatively off the wall for top ten lists, and the listeners, creative as they are, a lot of people actually wrote to me and said, "You've got to do the top ten smells of Walt Disney World." And I first kind of thought about it. And I was like, "Hmm, this could be interesting." But then when we kind of sat down and started jotting down ideas, we were both able to come up with a pretty good list of we all we decided was do five each this week of the smells because there was a lot of overlap for ours. And uh, they could be good, they could be bad, they could be hard to describe as as we'll see as we go along. <laughs> but um who would you like to go first or would you like me to go first this week? I think I will let you go first this week. Thank you. I, and I'm gonna hey, go you're welcome. I'm going to go with the very first thing that came to my mind, one of my favorite things in Walt Disney World. Of course, it has to do with food. My Probably my favorite food item, the thing I've got to get. But there is something about walking on to Main Street, USA and smelling the popcorn from the little red Orville Redenbacher cart. It smells better there. It tastes better on Main Street than it does anywhere else. Although, I will give a very close second to the popcorn cart in Frontierland, right across from Pecos Bills. Again, going back to a food item. But um, yeah, there's something, Tim, about smelling that popcorn when you walk on Main Street that gives you that I'm home feeling. Well, show of hands in the listening audience, who's surprised that Lou put food in his first item? Yo, no, right here. No, yeah, <laughs> nobody. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm actually staying on Main Street. I'm going to bop around Main Street a little bit because I'm leading to an off-the-wall one. Um, but I agree, the popcorn smell is wonderful on Main Street, but there are a lot of other pleasant odors that you'll experience as you walk down Main Street. Uh, first stop, the candy store, right at the beginning, walking in there, it smells like, well, it smells like candy, obviously, but uh, I guess something about candy and that sweet smell just cries Magic Kingdom and, and, and celebrations and carnivals and all that 
kind of good stuff. Uh, so that's a nice way to get into the Magic Kingdom mood. A little further down, of course, you'll find the bakery, one of my favorite stops for, I will say, the best cheese Danish in the world. And, uh, of course, you have, obviously, bakery smells in there, cakes and cookies and candy and pies and all that kind of good stuff. And the other smell that I enjoy as I walk down is on the other side of Main Street as you get to the very end heading into the Adventureland area is Casey's where you can that, that smell of hot dogs permeates the air and it feels like you're at a, an old fashioned barbecue outside which is really nice and I'm using the hot dog smell to kind of lead myself over to Tomorrowland. Before, before you and, go to Tomorrowland, you yes. just chastised me for mentioning a food items. You just mentioned like 19 food items in your first one. <laughs> yeah, but notice I'm walking down Main Street, so I'm working this all off. You, of course, are plopped down on the bench enjoying your giant tub of popcorn. So it's okay. Is, that wrong? I, Is it wrong for me to eat a, a whole bucket of popcorn by myself and not share not it with if, my family? Not if you're on vacation. Well, the sharing... Yeah, I, I got to call you on that one. That's that. That's not quite right. Um, but where I'm leading to is actually I'm sneaking this one in because I know it's it's secretly one of your favorite things in all of the Magic Kingdom is over in Stitch's Great Escape. Because speaking of hot dogs, this doesn't go in the ranks of the most pleasant smells you'll have in Walt Disney World, but the Stitch burping up his chili dog is certainly one you'll never forget. And that was my sneaky way of putting that into the list. I actually had my own way of putting that into the list, and I was going to put it. Uh. <laughs> I was going to put it near the end, and and I will comment here because the chili dog smell is done well. It smells like it like a burped up chili dog. So they it's get disgusting, right? But and that's the thing, you know, the the chili dog and another smell is is like the. Um, the gas in It's Tough to Be a Bug. Mm-hmm. They smell like what they're supposed to smell like. But you know what, Tim? I don't think that... <laughs> I don't think that you need those kind of smells in order to entertain kids. I don't think you need to have the burping and stuff like that to make an attraction funny. And Maybe I'm just hopping up on my step stool to my soapbox about that. And that's probably why... I felt like I didn't want to put them on the list. Um, no, well, you'll enjoy another one I have coming up too. But uh, but I tend to agree. I, I will say, the, the more pleasant smells we have on the list, I enjoy far more than the burp chili dog, for instance. See when but I it's there, so I mentioned. It. See when I heard the idea for the list, the first thing that came to my mind was what you thought of. Right. Yeah. What when you what what smells really make you think about Walt Disney World? What smells? bring you back to Walt Disney World if you smell something similar when you're back home in New Jersey or Canada or UK, wherever you are. And that's why like the popcorn came to mind first. That's why a couple of the other ones on my list, no matter if I think about them, you could almost smell them. Or again, if I smell them when I'm home, I think about Disney. So um, I'm going to move on to my next <laughs> on my list. Which, please, please. Which is somewhat sort of a food item, I guess. And... Uh, <laughs> It's the oranges in Soren. Um, it is one of the most wonderfully done smells. It gives me such fond memories of Horizons going over the orange groves. It's one of my favorite attractions. Um, you could just kind of close your eyes as you go over the orange groves and smell. And actually, all the smells really in Soren, like when you smell the ocean or when you smell the pine, uh, just 
it really enhances that experience. But that oranges and then maybe the nostalgic memories of, of Horizons is really one of my favorites. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually partial to the evergreens. Makes me think of Christmas. Um, and I enjoy that very much as well. Uh, my next one is... Uh, we're going to kind of go all over throughout the parks with this one. Uh, hidden here and there. This is one of the hidden treasures in all of the parks, uh, especially the Magic Kingdom and Epcot, that I always like to take a minute and enjoy and point out to people who are new or haven't really noticed all the subtle things to look for. And that are that is the Rose Gardens that you'll find here and there, as again, particularly throughout these two parks, in the Magic Kingdom near Cinderella Castle and in Epcot on the pathways from Future World shooting off to the right heading over to World Showcase and they're out of the way uh, there's not there's usually not many people in those areas so it's a nice time to stop look around enjoy the roses and I'm really trying to avoid the cliche of oh just get it out and, there <laughs> people when you go by just stop and smell the roses there how was that <laughs> so, um, related to I, I just want I wanted to throw in parenthetically speaking of roses and floral scents I do like as long as I'm heading over to World Showcase I'll head right on over to the France Pavilion and go into the perfume shop well I'll pass by the perfume shop but it's uh, obviously smells like perfume uh, quite heavily at times though but it's it, there's many scents around World Showcase which are probably not going to get into all of them but that's certainly one of them and speaking of roses there you are so it's funny how the perfume shop actually smells like perfume that's pretty neat how they Isn't that it. amazing? <laughs> <laughs> now, I will point out that when you go in there, there is, is the beast, the Beauty and the Beast rose in there if you can find it on the shelf. So there, see, I tie it in. That <laughs> nice. Now, that one doesn't smell, though, but... Right. Yeah. And I agree with you uh, about the roses. I think there's something like thirteen or 14,000 roses scattered around property, and uh, I love the Rose Garden, the Plaza Rose Garden right off the hub by Tomorrowland. You talk about a nice place just yeah. to sit and kind of get away or watch the fireworks. Um, it, it's it's beautifully done, and during the different times of year when they have different plantings, especially during Christmas, it's wonderful there. So um, I, I'm going to move to the third on my list, and this is one with that kind of gets, gets one of the asterisks because you gotta you got to work with me here, people, and, and follow <laughs> along with me. Some of the attractions, some of the water-based attractions in Walt Disney World, specifically the ones that come to mind, are Pirates of the Caribbean, It's a Small World. They have a smell to them. They've got... The only way I could describe it is the musty water smell of the indoor water-based attractions. (laughs) Don't laugh. Come on, tell me you know what I'm talking about and that I'm not completely insane and that I just need to spend more time riding rides. But these attractions, <laughs> there's something about when you get into the grotto of pirates and when you get down the waterfall, it's got this smell to it. Even even the queue itself has this smell to it. And it's one of those things that when I step foot in there, I kind of get that little smile on my face because it's, it's that familiar, very comforting smell that I enjoy. And again, even like Small World, it's got that same smell. Now, please just agree with me for my sake. Lou, that's a wonderful, wonderful Um, (laughs) This is why Samantha Brown is coming back and you're not, okay? (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, it's funny you say that because I 
I've probably noticed that smell too, subconsciously perhaps. But it, but is it is interesting because during today, as I was putting my list together, I was talking to other people about what I was doing. They were curious what kind of what do you mean what smells in Disney World, and you know I told them and it made sense. But uh, it's funny because I got some of the same answers too, differently. Like some people would say, I like the smell in Space Mountain. It just smells. I don't know. It just smells cool. And in different rides, people pick out different smells. I guess it's kind of like the new car smell or the old or grandma's house smell or something like that. Just certain ones just trigger something in certain people. You like the musty water, so that's... And listeners, please back me up on this. Call the voicemail (laughs) and tell me that I'm not crazy. I I believe you, everyone. Actually, I did. I I mentioned that because I knew you were going to talk about it. I did mention it to some people and kind of got some not so people do know what i'm what you were talking about so yeah. that's that's not yeah. that that's not the nod you got that's it's, wow this guy's really crazy and he's gonna ride the ride so. I, i'm trying to work with you i'm trying to work with you. no really i know what you're talking about it does evoke fond uh, memories here for my next one though i'm uh i'm kind of going back to one of those not the most pleasant sense in the world but it's fun nonetheless and, and this is over at the imagination ride in Epcot, of course. And I'm speaking, of course, of the smell labs, where Figment rolls the slot machine around to see what scent we will be delighted with. And, of course, it comes up. Skunk, skunk, and skunk. And there you go. Um, not quite as uh, noxious, if that's the right word, as the chili dog in Stitch, of course. Um, it's really fun being in there with all the new people because it really evokes a... You know, from everybody's in there, especially the kids. Uh, oh, that's right. I forgot. It's, it, this is really the top ten torturers with Tim. <laughs> uh, you know, you know. Yeah, remembering that I did that last week, right. but I don't. I don't tease anybody about it. It's. Yeah, I, I warn them it's coming up. So, but actually, I will say, it, if unless my memory is, is failing me, it does seem like that scent in particular is a lot less potent, if you will, than it was way back when it opened. It, I've, I've noticed lately it's it's there, but it's not quite as overpowering as I seen remember it being, or, or maybe I'm just getting used to it, one or the other. But the thing I do like to point out to people in the imagine ride, imagination ride overall, but particularly in that room, is to keep an eye out for all of the little details, which you have to go on over and over again to really appreciate. And in the smell labs, Look, take it. Take the time to look at all the pipes and the canisters to see what they're labeled and what the different scents are. And you'll find lots of puns and jokes, uh, which I won't give away because it's fun finding them on your own. Um, but just a little tip to look around a lot, especially in the imagination ride. Even though you should do that in all the rides, lots of fun things to see in there, and of course some interesting smells as well. Yeah, definitely true. And you're right about the smell, and I think it's. For me, this this one has an extra sort of somewhat negativity attached to it because whenever I ride Journey into Imagination with Figment, I think about the original Journey into Imagination, the old one. Yeah. and I'm like, you know, and this is what they've given us now. So, um, but moving on to our next one, um, my the one that was going to be next on my list, I know. Should my should my go first before you? I want I want you to go ahead and take it first because <laughs> okay. I traded you my my Reggie Jackson rookie card so you can get this That's one. That's true. I, 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 I owe you one. I owe you one. This now the rest now I will tell everybody the rest of the way out 
I'm done with the obnoxious smells. These are going to be nice ones. And the next one I'm talking about, this is actually going back, is one of my first, how do I say this, my first scent memories of Walt Disney World. It's the one that goes way back to when I first started going with my wife. And it's in Spaceship Earth. And, of course, everyone probably knows where we're heading with this. It's during the Rome scene. Immediately, immediately after, as you're heading into the Dark Ages, metaphorically speaking. East, west, north, and south. All yeah, that's, roads led wow. to Rome. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> that was my that was Jeremy impressive. Irons mixed with Dame Judi Dench mixed with... <laughs> oh, I thought you were Dame... I didn't... I didn't I, I, it was a little Walter Cronkite <laughs> thrown in there and, and the new guy. The, the, the not Vic Perrin guy. Uh, but obviously, those who know what I'm talking about, those who don't know, what, what occurs is when you turn the corner around Rome before you head into the Dark Ages, there's a scene where Rome is burning. In other words, the downfall of Rome and we're heading into the Dark Ages. But with the burning smell it's a burning smell is the best way to describe it call it charcoal call it whatever you want and it's actually a fond memory for me in the sense that the wilderness lodge and see how i'm going to tie this in was one of the first places that i stayed with with my family when we started going way 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 back when and one of our more enjoyable places at the Wilderness Lodge was the Whispering Canyon, and I'm sure we'll have a whole show on that, particularly as there's food involved there. Um, but way back in the day, uh, it's not quite that way now, but you used to get all kinds of barbecue sauces and all kinds of stuff at the Whispering Canyon. So when we first experienced Spaceship Earth and we experienced the Rome burning smell, our first thought, because I think we'd just eaten there, was barbecue sauce. So it's it's an odd kind of twist on it, but it's it's a fond memory for me because that's one of the first odors we really were aware of, and I will say when they just did the recent refurbishment of Spaceship Earth, that's one of the things I was worried about that they were going to take away. Thankfully, they didn't. Now they took away some other things I loved and adored, but that's a whole separate story. But thankfully, the Rome burning smell is still there, and it's one of my favorite. Uh, odor memory. That's not a bad way to say it. Smell memory of Walt Disney World. You know, I was wondering how you were going to make the leap from Spaceship Earth Rome scene to Whispering Canyon, but I get was it. Was that because, clever? Was that you know clever? What? You're right. It, it has a mesquite smell to it. Yeah. And this is something that was, other than the popcorn, food notwithstanding, <laughs> was like the first thing that came to my mind because it is one of my favorite, favorite scenes and smells and just sensory overload experiences in all of Walt Disney World and I love Spaceship Earth I I love the attraction and this is something that has remained since day one it's even more pronounced I think since the update uh, this past year and I love what they do and it also reminds me of a similar uh, smell that's also done in Ellen's Energy Adventure that same kind of a sulfury smell in the dinosaur scene. Well, the whole thing's kind of a dinosaur scene, but you know what scene I'm talking about. Um, But the Rome burning, I I think you may not have been with me with the musty water smell, but I'm sure (laughs) everybody gets the, the, uh, the Rome burning. Yeah, it's, 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 it's great. I, I kind of, the sulfur smell when you say that it actually reminds me of the fireworks too. When you smell the residuals, especially on a very humid day when it's just hanging all over you. But I was gonna say you've got a lot of free association going on there. But when you hear my last one, <laughs> I have no room to criticize. My last one really was tough. Um, 
I, I like, like you, I like the smell of the flowers in France. I like the smell of the flowers in Morocco, which have a very, very different scent to them. Um, I also like the cool, sort of the, the damp trails of Discovery Island, which smells like a rainforest. Not that I've ever been to the rainforest other than the cafe, but I assume that's what a rainforest probably smells like. I could have said a turkey leg. I'm trying to stay away from food. But again, people, please work with me here. I'm going to say the monorail. The monorail for me has a very distinct smell that I cannot articulate. I cannot quantify. I cannot describe what it is. And I, 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 I'm not talking about the overcrowded car in the summer nighttime during a rainstorm. That's not the best example of a smell that I'm talking about. <laughs> But again, that smell when you get on the monorail, and maybe it's just, you know, just a multi-sensory thing because you know it's the anticipation of you getting there. But there's something about that smell that I that brings me back to riding the monorail as a child and lets me know that, okay, I'm almost there. I am almost in the Magic Kingdom. I'm almost wherever I'm going to get to be. And uh, it, it's a very nostalgic, it's a very comforting smell. And I know I'm just talking about a, a mode of transportation, but um, hopefully somebody else out there understands what I mean when I talk about the monorail smell. Well, I'm going to make you feel really good because I was talking about this list with my wife, and that was one of the first things she said, too. So you're not alone. I, you know what? I always liked your wife. I know. She's a nice person. Um, and it's actually funny because we, as I talked about when we were f- there for our first visits, I remember one of the one of my very first experiences, apart from when I was a little kid going to Disney World, was when my wife and I hopped the monorail from the Magic Kingdom over to Epcot. And this was back when the monorails were very newly refurbished, like the new series of monorails were there. And I, and I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't know how to describe it other than saying, like new car smell, maybe in a sense, something like that. Something it just. You can't describe it, but yeah, like you, if I smell that, it takes me right back. Because as we know, s- smell is the most, how do you say, most memory, uh, evokes the most memories of all the senses. Yeah, and You know what I'm saying. Right? And you know what, I think that's why this was a good topic, and I think, and I, th- yeah. I want to thank everybody that emailed it in, because it was a good idea. You know, I laughed when I first saw it, but I'm like, yeah, this, the smells of, of Walt Disney World almost have such, so much more of a lasting impression than maybe some of the things you see. Um, maybe right up there with some of the things you hear, like the music, but you might not consciously think about it until you sit down and have to write a list and put things on there, like the musty water smelling pirates. But, um, this is where we need a scent button on your on everyone's computer so that <laughs> we can push these through. No, I still have my number one to do. So, Well, please, finish us off with your number one, which I'm hoping revolves around food. Well, I think I can tie this into food. Pretty well, and I think any everybody who's been listening to this list who has ever been to Walt Disney World knows exactly where we're heading, and it's of course over to Mickey's PhilharMagic, which is it's my favorite of the 3D shows in all of Walt Disney World by far. I, I just think it, it it's by far the most magical, and to me, it's filled with magical moments from start to finish, and. One of, and it's hard to choose number one, but one of my favorite of the magical moments is the cinnamon-laced apple pie smell that you experience during the Be Our Guest sequence. I remember the first time uh, I 
experienced that scent. It was it was pure magic. I wasn't expecting it at all. Uh, and, and apart from the Rome burning scene, which we talked about, I, I hadn't experienced uh, scents on other attractions before. And, and it came out of nowhere. And unlike some of the other scents I've talked about, the cinnamon apple pie is a truly delightful smell. And in fact, it'll bring you back to the candy store and all all those kinds of memories too and it and every time I smell it it's just as magical and just as wonderful and I actually want to take this opportunity to to talk about another it's it's not a scent related magical moment but one I finally pinned down and I just wanted to share with everybody was and it's it's also a sensory one too is the moment when you're you're done with Peter Pan and Tinkerbell and you're flying up above the clouds to find Jasmine and so forth. There's a there's a, a, a subtle whoosh that you hear. And I don't know if most people really get it, obviously, the first time, or it takes a couple times, it's a very subliminal thing, but that precise moment when you get the clouds and you hear that whoosh just takes me away to, a, I'll say it, a whole new world. So, how was that? So. <laughs> are, are you crying or are you tearing? <laughs> I welled up a little bit there. So. <laughs> That's as I say, it's one of those. I just really pinned it down. What it was about that scene that made me go gaga, and that was it. If it's not scent related, they should put a scent in there of Agrabah. I don't know what Agrabah smells like, but I'm sure it would be pleasant. But. Like but yeah, cinnamon apple pie. That's my number one. I think a lot of people would agree. That's right up there on top of their lists as well. So. Yeah, you talk about yeah. strong scents uh, and really adding to an attraction. I agree with you 110 percent. So, yes. um, for, for the most part, we are kindred spirits with our lists. <laughs> so, although I know my my musty water smell still might be a stretch. Hey, and if I, you give me the chili dog, I give you the musty water smell. Deal. 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 Okay. So, but uh, please keep your ideas for top ten lists coming in. You can email them to Lou at wdwradio.com. You can also call them into the voicemail two zero six two zero two. WDW. That's 206-202-4939. And if you have some favorite smells or favorite scents as they were that maybe we missed or you want to back me up on a couple of mine, I invite you also, <laughs> please, to call into the voicemail. I'll put them on the air and I'll play them uh, on an upcoming show. Tim Foster from GuideToTheMagic.com. Go and check out Tim's site. Subscribe to his free newsletter. Check out his variety of different titles, including his all-new Guide to the Magic for Kids book. And uh, Tim, I look forward to our next oh-so-very-interesting Top 10 with Samantha, uh, Top 10 with uh, Tim segment. It gets better and better. You know, and oddly enough, as usual, when we're done this, I'm kind of hungry, so I'm going to go get a snack. <laughs> See you, Tim. Thanks. It's time again to open up the inbox and answer some of your emails to the show. And I apologize for not having answered some in the past couple of weeks. I promise to get back on track and get to them all soon. Um, I thought this week I would enlist the help of our good friend Jeff Pepper, who, from what I understand, is still recovering from his Walter Cronkite Love Fest a few weeks ago. And Jeff, I assume you've healed up okay by now. Yes, I'm. 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 I'm bet for eons. <laughs> I'm good. Now, wait. You know, actually, speaking of which. That reminds me, because 
right after the show, of course, like minutes after the show went live that we did about Spaceship Earth a couple of weeks ago, I came to learn that we and many others have been mistaken for years about one of the narrators. And this information came directly from Marty, you know, nobody knows Disney more than I do, Sklar. Obviously not directly to me, but in an article that he wrote, I think for the Imagineering website or one of the cast member website. And I'll read specifically what he says in the article. He says, a word about the narrators. We launched Spaceship Earth with the wonderful voice of a television actor I had recorded several times in shows beginning at the New York World's Fair. His name was Larry Dobkins. Then in an attempt to create some star power with a voice familiar to our guests, Tom Fitzgerald wrote a great script for a fan of Walt Disney World and Epcot, Walter Cronkite, Jeff's personal favorite. And then he goes on and talks about Tom creating a new script for Jeremy Irons, then Pam Fisher doing a narration for Dame Judi Dench. So Vic Perrin was not the original narrator. It was this this guy, Larry Dobkins, who, Jeff, I have been able to find little to zero information about. Did, did you, in, in light of that, because, I mean, I it was one of those things where, yeah, I just took everybody's word for it. Do we know where that Vic Perrin originated, where the full Vic Perrin connection originated from? Or? That's what I tried to find out, too. Where sort of, you know, the name got thrown out there first. And I, I can't seem to, you know find that that single point where somebody posted it somewhere or was written somewhere um i do know it was a, sort of a, a questionable thing for a long time and i guess just because the name was out there for so long people just took it as gospel so you know vic perrin we hardly knew ye but uh, you are no longer the narrator for spaceship earth so um if anybody has any additional information or some voice work from larry dobkins i'd love to kind of expand on this a little bit more find out a little bit more about the guy who really was the first narrator so uh, we will not be re-recording the spaceship Earth segment all over again but i did want to clarify it so yeah we want to keep things under three hours <laughs> yeah please <laughs> so uh, speaking of uh keeping things under three hours uh we're going to try and get through as many emails as we can today. I, I've really been trying to get to the time-sensitive one first, and I apologize to anybody whose trip may have passed if I missed them. Uh, I'm going to go through the emails again very, very closely, pull out some time-sensitive ones, hopefully within the next couple of weeks. Um, but for this week, Jeff, we're going to kind of take some random ones out of the inbox and get through as many as we can. What do you say? Okay. All right, so the first one says, Lou, I really enjoy listening to the podcast. It's always entertaining and informative. Been a long-time listener going back to the old show. You've always done a great job. I appreciate it. So he's got two questions. First, I recently heard that Wishes will be replaced with a new fireworks show. Is this really a big deal? To me, all fireworks shows are basically the same. Am I missing something here? And yes, I have seen Wishes many times over the past two to three years. Jeff, we'll hit that one first. Yes, there have been rumors about wishes and possibly illuminations being changed or updated in some form or fashion. Uh, he's basically saying, is that really a big deal? You know, fireworks or fireworks? What do you think? I, I think the thing that you got to remember is, is that the fireworks shows have kind of evolved over time, especially the Magic Kingdom. And, you know, you're talking about going back 10, 15, 20 years to when a fireworks show was just a fireworks show. They, they shot off the fireworks above the castle and you know, on 4th of July, then there were some red, white, and blue ones thrown in. <laughs> and they've turned the fireworks shows into really extensive multimedia experiences, integrating lights, sounds, laser effects, and then, you know, projecting images on the castle. So I, I think I think they've, you know, when if you say that there's going to be a change or a new show, I think it means something. I mean, even just the change from, you know, a holiday wishes to a Halloween fireworks show, there's distinct differences. And I, I think they're all very unique. And 
they all sort of tell different stories and kind of play to different themes. So I, I would look forward to, to different ones and kind of different changes in the scripts and, and, and the formats and such like that. Yeah, and for me, it, like you said, it's more about just the pyrotechnics and the effects and some of the great things they do with lighting on the castle, for example. It's really more about the, the music and the story that's told. I mean, Wishes has a great story that goes from beginning to end. Illuminations, obviously, has a story about it as well. And that, for me, is what I take away from the fireworks show. And, and dare I say, I, to a certain degree, like Wishes almost more than I like Illuminations because I like the characters, because I like the story, because I like the music that's in there. Uh, again, not taking anything away from Illuminations, so that's what you could either look forward to or maybe be disappointed about if the fireworks shows change. And obviously the pyrotechnics will continue to improve every time as well. But he's got another question, unless you have something else to say. No, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> he said, Lou, I noticed outside the International Gateway entrance to Epcot, there appears to be a bus stop pavilion. There's a shed for passengers waiting for the buses, similar to the ones at the Magic Kingdom, and an ice paved circular road for the buses to maneuver. But... There are no buses here, and there are no passengers waiting for these buses, which are not there. Was this once a bus stop? Did the Disney transportation system drop people off here, or is it something they plan to do in the future? I realize it may be an obscure question. That's what we do. But I, it did catch my curiosity. I figured if anyone would know the answer, it would be Lou. Take care. And that comes from Joe. Joe, obscure is my middle name. Uh, and, I, and I'm sure Jeff and I both know the answer to this one. That actually wasn't a bus stop. It was a tram stop. Uh, because for many years, you were able to take trams from the International Gateway entrance to the Yacht Club and the Beach Club and the Swan and Dolphin uh, up until the time that the boardwalk was constructed. Right, Jeff, I don't know if you ever remember those kind of going up and down and over the um, over the bridge towards the Epcot Resorts in that area. Yeah, I do. And that was, it. you know, correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I only stayed once during that time frame at the, um, I believe I stayed at the Beach Club. And I... Um, I remember that, and the boat transportation didn't seem to be as big a deal then, or to to any extent. Wasn't is there boat transportation that goes? Yeah, yeah, you could take the, you could take the, the friendship gateway. boats yeah. there, right? Yep. Yeah, and I don't, I just don't remember them being as prominent in the early days. And it seems like everything over there now has kind of gone to a kind of a boat transportation system, especially when it kind of linked together with when did the International Gateway? When did they build the International Gateway? Well, Was I don't. Was it pre-MGM? Because that all connected to MGM then as well, remember? Yeah, that, I mean, you're talking early 90s for the International Gateway, because I know the boardwalk opened, I believe, in 96 or so, so you're, you're probably talking early 90s. Yeah, it was early 90s uh, when the Yacht and Beach Club opened and the Swan and Dolphin, so, uh, and I think the trams were just a faster, easier way to get to back and forth, because they ran so often, you could just hop on, you didn't have to wait for the boat and go back and forth. Now there's a sort of you know, quiet romantic element to the boats, which I actually like. Um, and if I'm not in a rush to leave Epcot and if I'm going to the Otter Beach Club, um, I sometimes like taking the boats back because you get a nice view of not just Crescent Lake and the, the Yacht and Beach Club, but the boardwalk and the lights and everything else like that across the way. So, uh, yeah, but and yet- I think that's, that, that's a good point too because the trams, for what they are, are noisy and pollution causes. <laughs> and I mean, that might have been some degree of a factor, especially with the, that same path that they're going being predominantly, largely, you know, most of a lot of people walk that yeah. way as well. Yeah, trams are just a mode of transportation. There, There's definitely something almost ride-like uh, about being on the boat. Um, and I feel like I said, if time is not an issue and you're just 
way too you're way too tired of walking uh, back to your resort. The boats are a nice way to get back and forth. So, next email is going to come from Mark in Charleston, New Hampshire. He said, "Lou, thanks again for a great show. Have not missed an episode since discovering your site last year, summer 2007." I'm sure Jeff couldn't say the same thing, but I heard you mention several times, unless he's on the show, the several times the burn-off of the extra grass at the barge at Epcot. Do you know how long after the fireworks completion this takes place? My wife and I will be going down in mid-September, and the first night we were there, we're planning to take advantage of the extra magic hours. I'd love to see it, and didn't want to run off to an attraction and miss it. Or do they wait until they formally close the park? So it would not be normally timed event on the Extra Magic Hours night. Just wondered if you knew. Thanks again for a great show. And again, that comes from Mark. Jeff, have you, have you ever stayed for the burn-off? Yeah, uh, we've done it a couple times. And it's it's usually, what, about an hour and a half? Yeah, pretty much. And, and they, don't, they won't necessarily wait for everybody to leave. I mean, if guests are in the park, it doesn't matter. They'll still go ahead and do it anyway. Yeah, we, in fact, I think it was our trip this past spring, we did an extra magic hours evening, and um, we waited for the burn-off on that one. And then I think back when we all did Epcot 25th anniversary, um, we waited, did we not? Many of you did wait. Um, some of us lightweight started to head back early because that, that took longer um, than expected. They originally thought it was going to be like 45 minutes after the, ta- the final tag, and then 45 minutes came and went. And I had about had it, had it at that point. I think it was about an hour and a half, like you said, before it actually came out. So, but something it definitely a spectacular sight to see. I mean, if you're you're into that, and uh, you know, for the unsuspecting guest that you know you hear it in the distance, it sounds like you know the middle of Epcot's exploding. So they they do give you a warning though yeah. if you're around if you're around the World Showcase <laughs> Lagoon. I guess they finally realize that they better give you a heads up. Yeah, true. I'm, I'm sure. Post 9/11, people hear explosions coming from Epcot, and they get a little little antsy. So if you're in the you're in the beach club, you can definitely hear it, um, and sometimes even see it, depending on where your room is. So, but let's move on to another email. This one comes from Kent in South Bend, Indiana. It said, "Lou, really enjoy the show. Been listening for less than a year, but I've heard them all. By far the de- best Disney podcast out there. Thank you. Here's my question: My family and I, four and six year old boys, are going down the first week in August. Wow, can you say hot?" He said it, not me. (laughs) And we're staying at Port Orleans for a week. My mother and sister are also going. We've made ADRs and are planning. We're going to meet them at Cape Bay at 7 o'clock. I was wondering where exactly the boats drop you off at Epcot. I can't remember ever taking them except just across to the other side of World Showcase. In part two, I say, I was at another resort like Coronado. We wanted to get back back to Port Orleans. Would it be easier to take a bus to downtown Disney and then get the boat back or just go to the nearest theme park? Thanks, sorry, so long. We really appreciate what you do. Even a seasoned Disney World vet can learn from you. And again, that's from Kent. So he's got two questions. One, where do the boats drop you off in Epcot? We actually just talked about that over by the International Gateway. Um, And you could take those boats from the International Gateway to the docks at the Yacht and Beach Club, the dock over at uh, the Boardwalk. And you can also take it over uh, all the way down to MGM as well. So he, but he is looking for a direct route to Port Orleans. Right. So now he's saying, I was on another resort like Coronado. We wanted to get back to Port Orleans. So if he's at Coronado and he wants to get back to Port Orleans, is it easier to take a bus to downtown Disney and then get the boat back or just go to the nearest theme park? I would say spend $10 and get a cab. <laughs> uh, I was about to say, the weird, it was funny, it's like, funny to say, do you have your car? Do you have your car? Do you have your car? <laughs> it's funny is that, you know, when you listen to the to the show and we get a lot of people questioning transportation issues and I think what I've come to find out when I talk to people is that even if they have their car they seem compelled 
to take the transportation system. And this is just me and my family's personal preference. We drive everywhere we possibly can. Um, if you're staying on property, the parking is free. Um, and in, especially, I would say, in August, um, because if you're staying late at Epcot or you're staying late at the Magic Kingdom, um, the bus transportation is just really like a bottleneck at the end of the day. And it's a, it's a lot easier to navigate with your car. So if you do have a car, um, that is what I would recommend, especially when you're what, what the scenario you just described, Lou, with going from one spot to the other and then to Town Disney and back again. Um, the boats, as you just men- noticed, mentioned in your previous answer, are very nice and romantic at times, but they can be notoriously slow as well, especially going through the International Gateway. Yeah, and if you have a four- and six-year-old and it's been a long day and you're going in August when you admittedly said that it was hot, um, that might be an added element that you need to sort of consider and deal with. And maybe at that point, if renting a car is not an option, really, it it can't cost you, I I can't imagine, more than maybe $10 to get a a cab, if that, um, and, you know, a van that you can put the whole family in if you need to, from Coronado Springs directly over to Port Orleans French Quarter. Actually, it'll bring you right over to where you're, you know, not close, not far from where your room is. Uh, that might be money well spent as opposed to taking what could be easily over an hour to go from Coronado to downtown Disney over to Port Orleans and walking back to your room. So, All right, next one is a quick question. It says, where has the snow speeder gone from the backlot tour? I was at Star Wars Weekends number two. I did ask a cast member. He said it disappeared about three months ago and he thought it was being repaired for Star Wars Weekends but never turned up. Maybe it was destroyed by the Empire. I don't know. Great show. Keep up the good work. Lou, you're my only hope, and that comes from Simon Pearson in England. Jeff, I don't know when the last time is that you've had a chance to ride on the Backlot Tour, but you know the snowspeeder from Empire Strikes Back that he's talking about? Yeah, and we we rode it back in January was the last time we were on it. We haven't done it since then, and I'm now struggling to remember where was the location of it again. Was it? It was kind of in that little boneyard off to, to the right-hand side. I can't remember. I can't tell you. I think near where the Thunder and Paradise boat, if it's even still there, right, yeah. is or okay, was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember seeing it on my last tri- trip either. So it could even be longer than a few months. Obviously, like you said, it didn't show up for Star Wars Weekends. Um, it has not shown up on eBay as yet. So who you know, one can only wonder where these things go, especially a big prop like that. Which was very cool. Yeah, I mean, obviously Star Wars fans. So um, something like that, you know, if it may have been on loan from someplace like Lucasfilm. They may have taken it back after a certain amount of time. Although I'd love to see another Star Wars um, piece go in there. I'd also like to see the whole backlot updated. Separate conversation for a separate show. So <laughs> Next email says, Lou, we've been listening to the show for the last eight months or so. We think it's fantastic. Best Disney podcast by far. Our Sunday morning breakfasts are not complete without an episode of your show to listen to. Well, good. Whatever kickstarts you guys in the morning, I'm happy to be a part of it. So a uh, little coffee and uh, and podcasting. So on our last visit to Walt Disney World, it was in December of 2004. So we're really looking forward to our upcoming trip this August 6th, and we're staying for three weeks. See, that's the cool thing about living in the UK. When you do come, you're staying for three weeks. We can't afford to visit that often, so when we come... Like I just said, we make the most of it. So thankfully, Disneyland Resort Paris isn't too far away. We try and get there when we can. We'll be staying at Port Orleans French Quarter, which we stayed at during an earlier visit in 1996. We understand that it has been refurbished since then, and we're looking forward to staying there once more. Anyway, we have a few questions for you that might prove to be good podcast material. I agree. So, Jeff, here we go. First, 
Would you recommend the Spirit of Aloha dinner show? We've done the Backyard Barbecue twice, and we're looking forward to something different to do. There'll be four adults and two kids aged 10 and 7. Jeff, have you ever ever done the Spirit of Aloha show over at the Polynesian? We did it last year, and I, I'm mixed. I, my opinion on it is very mixed. Give me your, we, your pros and cons. We, we did it as a part of the dining plan. We had purchased the dining plan, and so we did it as a part of that. Um, it's The food is okay. It's not the best food you're going to get at a, at, a, at a dinner service or a full-service restaurant in Walt Disney World. It's not really any kind of authentic Polynesian food or anything, so if that's what you're looking for, it's not going to really impress you in that regard. But it's, it's good food. It's so big. The, um, the venue is so large. They seat so many people, and it's very, very orchestrated uh the food comes in the food goes out the food comes in the food goes out and if you don't get a very good place in terms of your seating we were very back we were very far back so our view of the show itself wasn't the best so it's it's got a lot of drawbacks in that regard i i love the atmosphere of the polynesian and i love the whole nature of the luau type entertainment and the entertain the entertainers were great in, in in that regard it was a good show but it's it's kind of a mixed bag, um, and we we had done it years and years ago. I mean, probably going back 25 years. I had done it with my family in the early 1980s, and my family had a similar reaction to it then. Um, they were they were very much they loved the hoopty doo because the hoopty doo had a very energetic, high energy kind of entertainment, and it was very more intimate in its setting. Whereas the Polynesian, you're you're just you're really packed in with a lot of other people, and it kind of can detract from the experience. You, I, I agree with you. There, there are definitely pros and cons. Pros being the, the pineapple coconut bread, if it's still there. That's one thing I remember. Like you said, the food, you're not going to get poi and eat it with your hands. You're going to get ribs and chicken and rice and vegetables and things like that. You said you have a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old. I think they would enjoy it. Um, I think they would probably like the music. Uh, there's some music from Lilo and Stitch in there as well. I think you and your wife would probably enjoy it as well. It's one of those things that I think you should do once. As far as the seating is concerned, I believe it was in 2007 they went to a, a different style of seating where it's actually tiered seating. And I think there's two or three, I think there's probably three categories of seating that range from about $50 to $60. Um, obviously, the $50 seats are uh, farther in the back. It is all-inclusive. Everything to, includes tax and gratuity. The Category 1 seating is obviously closer. It's more expensive, around $60. You need to make the decision if... The extra $40 that you'd spend uh, in total is worth being closer to the stage to see the hula dancers and the fire twirlers and everything else that goes in there. There is an interactive element of it. Um, is it as high energy as hoop de doo In certain parts, no. I mean, the, the hula dancers are, you know, it's a very calm, quiet kind of thing. Um, but I think it's a good show. Uh, I definitely think it's a good show. I, I would do it. I would recommend it. If somebody was asking, especially if they had kids or wanted to do something a little bit out of the ordinary. And again, you can't beat the Polynesian in the settings, especially at night. So, And the other thing, too, is there's two shows. I believe one's at 5 and one's at 9, and they run about two hours. So it's not like they're not going to sort of shuttle you in and out all that quickly. I mean, you, you get a full show for your money as well as, as your dinner. Question number two on our five previous visits, our first being 1991, we always bought the Birnbaum guidebooks. Are there any other guidebooks that you'd recommend? We already have both your trivia books. Thank you very much. Um, Obviously, Birnbaum, that is the official guide. That is, Jeff, that's usually probably 100 and maybe 150 or so pages. Very colorful, very good basic book. 
As far as other guides, I think there's two schools of thought, and if I had to recommend two, they'd be on opposite ends of the spectrum. One would be the unofficial guide, which is like, I think, 16,000 pages now. It's a brick. It is a big book, but it's very, very, very complete. Uh, You want to know everything and very, very unbiased opinions. So you are not going to get a Birnbaum-style guide. You're going to get real opinions from real reviewers and real readers of the guide, Uh, some that you might not like, some that you might not agree with, but it's very honest and it's very up-to-date. And Len and Bob and their research team by far does an, the most exhaustive research probably of, of any of the guidebooks. Uh, but again, it's not something I would throw into my backpack and certainly can't fit in your back pocket and carry it around the parks. On the other hand, I like Steve Barrett's hit hassle-free guide to Walt Disney World. It is much like a Birnbaum's guide in that it's a lot thinner. Uh, it has great touring plans in it if you're looking to find some of the best Again, hassle-free ways to tour the park without having to read something as exhaustive as as the unofficial guide. Yeah, I I will jump in and say, uh, you know, having been a veteran, um, I I used to buy the Birnbaum guides every year back, this is going back, you know, almost 20 years, only for just kind of the educational value because the nice thing about the Birnbaum guides is they give you nice sort of historical background descriptions, more extensive descriptions of the attractions, almost, they're almost like little mini- Disney World history books in a way, but and and so I never really went beyond them because we we were kind of had our own plans and really didn't find the necessity. But I discovered the unofficial guidebook about four years ago, and it was amazing how much I learned from it. Even being fairly seasoned Disney World traveler, um, it's very extensive, and it and it approaches things from a very interesting standpoint. Like the whole approach the book takes to touring with children um, is great. It's it's, it's very indispensable it really comes across from a parent's point of view it's it's very much that you know you know your child is going to be tired and screaming by the end of the day and here's what you here's what helps you get through it so it it kind of goes beyond some of the just the basics of touring and into a lot of the more kind of complicated areas that you don't really necessarily anticipate yeah i mean you talk about an exhaustive book um the unofficial guide is definitely it but as far as quick and dirty and easy touring plans I like the hassle-free guide and it's funny you mentioned that about the Birnbaum guides because you and I and I'm sure a lot of other people I like to use I definitely use it as a historical reference and and actually I'm I'm missing a few volumes between 1983 and 1988 if anybody happens to have some old ones laying around that they're not using but um, they're great because it definitely gives you a timeline of some of the changes as we try and track them but again I digress sorry so his third question he's got like nine more questions He's making reservations for dinners, tours, etc. from the UK, but that involves a transatlantic phone call. Any plans for Disney to put their systems online? It'd make life a lot easier for international visitors. Um, I will tell you that I do know some changes are taking place to the reservation system, although I have not heard anything definitive about it going online. But I have one word for you, and that's Skype. Get Skype for your computer. It's free. And a small headset microphone for a couple of dollars, you can make international calls uh, for free. This is what we use to record oftentimes. The quality is excellent. And again, you don't have to worry about paying the international charges. But you did mention putting the reservation system online for international, for domestic. That is something, Jeff, I would love to see. Allow people the ability to make their ADRs, tie it to their reservation number and their phone number, do their ADRs on their own, do their searching on their own without having to, to pick up the f- phone and call Disney directly. 
And yeah, and if wishes were fishes and all that, I mean that's <laughs> the most. And I don't mean to, I don't mean that to be so sarcastic, but that, as we know in discussions here and elsewhere, this the whole ADR system has been so controversial in recent years, and it's it seems to be a struggle on Disney's end to kind of get to the best of all possible worlds with it. And but that's another great point is that's it's very cumbersome from international travelers, and and an online solution would be good, but. You know, God, when you got people fighting for Cinderella's, you know, table for breakfast every, you know, morning at, you know, 6 a.m. or whatever, it's a it's a tricky business. Yeah, and they are making improvements to the system. Actually, as of the time of this recording, they are in the process of switching over to a completely new reservation system. And for the guest side, it's going to be pretty transparent because what they're going to be doing is tying it in directly to the reservation system. They're going to be getting away from the character-based system that they've been using for years. They're going to tie it into the Disneyland system. But the big change that we're going to see is that it's going to be much more directly tied to the reservation system. So now those people who may have tried to say, look, I don't know where I want to eat, you know, next January. And you'd call and you'd make one reservation for La Cellier, you'd make another one for Boma. You will not be able to do that anymore because it's going to be tied directly to your reservation number and or your home phone number. So they'll be able to say, hey, excuse me, Mr. Pepper, but you already have a reservation here at BOMA. There's not going to be any overlap allowed. So hopefully that will cut down on some of those double bookings. But again, to, to see something online that everybody would have access to, um, especially if you already have a, uh, a resort reservation, would, would be great. So next question, a quick one. In 2004, our children bought a pal Mickey. Will he still work when we visit in August? Yes, he will. They have been updated. I think they're on Palmicky 2.0 or 2.5.1 or 3G Palmicky, whatever he is. But uh, <laughs> your old Palmicky will definitely work. Uh, next question, Lucky the Dinosaur. Whatever happened or is happening with him? We read somewhere he may be used as a dragon in a proposed beastly kingdom at the Animal Kingdom. Again, to use to, to use a Jeffism, if wishes were fishes, where you got that from, I have no idea. But the last I heard, Lucky was spotted in New York. He was at the Imagineering exhibit. Uh, I think that's what he's doing now. He's just doing sort of special events. He's kind of going out on the road. He's on tour. I think he was in Hong Kong or maybe going to Hong Kong. I don't know. Jeff, did you see him when he was down in uh, in Disney? No, we told, our timing was awful, and I really regret it. And, yeah, I think he was prior to... You're, you said New York. I think he went and had a fairly extended stay at um, Hong Kong, tying into their opening year kind of stuff. So, Yeah, and as far as him coming to Beastly Kingdom, again, rumors being what they are, Beastly Kingdom has been rumored you know, to be coming for, for eons. Um, I would not expect Beastly Kingdom or Lucky to be coming in any sort of form or fashion in that regard. But uh, your next question, because you have a few more, is we used to love walking around Discovery Island on our previous visits. It was a lovely escape from all the hustle and bustle, but we were disappointed in 2004 to find it was no longer open. Why? Many, many, many reasons. Um, there were issues with some of the animals. There were issues with uh, Animal Kingdom opening and sort of taking away some of maybe what that represented. There was a lot of hurricane damage over the past year. Um, I actually wrote an article about it. I'll link to it in this week's show notes over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. That was someplace, especially my dad, I remember Jeff, used to love going to Discovery Island and seeing all the different animals and the aviary and, and reptiles and stuff like that. Did you guys ever get a chance to go with your kids or, or when you were married? Um, we went. We never went really with the kids. By the time the kids rolled around, I think they might have gone once when they were tiny, tiny toddlers. But we used to go a lot. But yet you have to realize the context of 
our in my adult life you know we went we never, I never went with my folks that's not my mom's cup of tea um, but when my wife and I were first married and we went quite a few times in the late 80s we visited it almost every trip and really really enjoyed it and that's what you have to realize is that that's back in the days when there was only two theme parks one water park and discovery island <laughs> and so it was it was something that you could make time for and it was something that was really really enjoyable and I, it's unfortunately as you said it's it's kind of the victim circumstance um you know you you basically expanded the discovery island notion into an entire full-fledged theme park and so much of what was there kind of became redundant with with what came to be in animal kingdom yeah and i've seen uh, relatively recent pictures of Discovery Island now, and unfortunately, it's a mess uh, because of some severe hurricane damage. Uh, it's now overgrown and overrun with lots of wildlife. So, in order for them to do anything with that island, it would take some serious work, some serious displacement of it, 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 the new inhabitants that are on there. Um, and there's been rumors for years about. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah. yeah. I was gonna say it's become the hotbed of Disney rumors for the past like what going back almost 10 years with the mist, the mist rumors and yeah mist pirates, was, was a very popular online role-playing game um that was a, a graphics based game that the rumor at the time was it's going to be a mist island and you'd be able to go and experience the game mist it was going to be an exclusive honeymoon retreat getaway that was a big one a couple of years ago um the most recent one i heard which didn't get very much was a lost themed island that you'd go and sort of be able to you know the abc synergy of lost but again um, i don't see anything happening with that anytime soon your next question this is actually good because we're getting like a a big bang for the buck with this email (laughs) we've booked ourselves on the backstage magic tour any advice um Jeff, I don't know if you've ever taken the Backstage Magic Tour. That is sort of the big enchilada of Backstage Tours. That's the seven-and-a-half-hour tour that takes you to the Magic Kingdom, the Utilidors, Epcot Backstage. also takes you, I think, Backstage at the Studios when I took it. Took it. Um, I've taken it twice. I love, love, love this one. I need to take it again since it's been a few years. My advice is get lots of rest because you're going to be walking around for seven-and-a-half hours. Uh, take it all in. Look around because you are getting a very, very unique opportunity to get backstage. And of course, if you see anything really cool or new, please report back to me on anything that you find out. And I have not done it, Lou. And I think the reason being, correct me if I'm wrong here, is you can't do it unless you're over 16. Yes, but now that you are over 16, you have no excuses. (laughs) Well, but that's the problem, Lou. (laughs) My children would kill me. See, we need to get back. See you, kids. Got to go. <laughs> Again, I th- you know what? We need to take a research trip down, and you and I will take a backstage magic tour together. How's that? Okay. Well, You're doing it for the show. You're not doing it for any sort of recreational purposes. My, I have my calendar pulled up right now, buddy. Um. <laughs> Cody, Jake, look, Lou's making me go. I don't, you know, I got to carry his recording <laughs> gear and pay, you know, so... Uh, yeah, Backstage Magic Tour, definitely. We're going to cover these tours again in more detail, sort of compare and contrast on the different tours. But uh, I think you're really, really, really going to like that one. Uh, next to last question says, During our visit, how can we keep up to date with your podcast? We'll be missing you for a whole three weeks. You're not missing very much, but thank you. <laughs> what? You don't have to laugh. <laughs> those are the what? Those are the what? No, no, just put George Taylor on those. <laughs> What internet facilities are available within Walt Disney World? Uh, I think you said you were staying on property in Port Orleans. You'll be able to get uh, hardwired internet access in your room. It's nine ninety five for twenty four continuous hours. 
There is some Wi-Fi available in some locations, mostly in the corporate uh, and higher-end resorts. So you'll get it like in the um, Yacht Club and Beach Club, Contemporary. I believe Coronado also has it. But that, too, is not free. It's $9.95. I believe you can still get free Wi-Fi if you don't mind walking over or parking out in front of Wide World of Sports. Uh, I know for a long time they had free Wi-Fi there, but you can easily get um, pretty good speeds on the internet access uh, in your room, so I wouldn't worry about that. And finally, while surfing YouTube, we found footage of the Disney characters with the new animatronic heads, apparently a part of the Dream Along with Mickey show. Do you know if there's any plans to go further with the technology? It looks really neat. My understanding is that plans are underway to continue upgrading characters in some of the other shows around property, and as new shows open up, they will use the animatronic heads. You're not going to find it in the face-to-face characters and meet-and-greets, things like that, obviously because the non-face characters don't speak. Uh, Jeff, I'm sure you've seen the animatronic heads by now in the Cinderella Castle stage show. Thoughts? Love it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I really, I was really impressed with it, and there's a lot of, you know, you got to realize there's a lot of work, you know, there's a lot of sort of synchronization skills going into that, and I, and it, it is the future. I think it, you know, down the line, we will ultimately see, um, you know, the the character beat and greets probably have have animatronic um, character heads that will probably have pre pre recorded speech or some type of synthesized speech. I mean, we're talking years and years in the future, but it's I think it's going to come. And I think this is just kind of when you see that show for the first time, it, it's pretty amazing because we're we're so hardwired programmed to be so used to you know, the characters either being silent or not moving their mouths that we've just, we've accepted it. And so when you actually see it happening, it's very cool. And we've talked about the audio animatronics in Walt Disney World being a true wonder. And we saw the next generation of it with the Captain Jack Sparrow and the Barbosas and Pirates of the Caribbean. And now you're seeing it in a a form that it's not tethered to the floor in walk-around characters. And you obviously see even what I think, Jeff, is the next generation to a certain degree with the Mr. Potato Head in Toy Story Mania. I mean, he's big and he's bulky, but he's very fluid in his movement. And what they do with his eyes, what they do with his mouth, how he's able to articulate and take off his ear, I think you're right. I think over the next couple of years, we're going to see some pretty impressive things happening, um, not only in the animatronics there, but in the walk-around characters, like you said. Well, that actually was the last question from Jane and Simon Phipps from over in the UK. Uh, you definitely got your money's worth for that question. And uh, I hope to take you up on your offer if I am down there and seeing you guys in August. Thank you very much. Hopefully, uh, we were able to help you out. Jeff, I think maybe we have time for one more. One more. All right. So for the last question for this week, um, we're going to turn to our ta- favorite topic. And I'm going to direct this question at you directly, Jeff. It says, Lou, my name is Jessica. I'm going to Disney World in August, and I was just curious if you had any restaurants to recommend. Jessica, how much time do you have? Please answer back as soon as possible because I need to make the reservations. Thanks a bunch. Have a magical day. Obviously, Jeff, I get uh, so many questions in the inbox about restaurant recommendations for families, for couples, for this, for you know different kinds of things. Tell me about some of your favorites, and maybe you can talk about favorites for a family or favorites for a romantic or favorite restaurant if you just want to go out and splurge? Wow. Is give, us, give us the... I think we've answered this before. <laughs> <laughs> we have, and, and but yeah. I, I feel bad because I do get the question a lot, so... Um, and yeah, at the risk of being repetitive if to regular listeners, um, but I'll, I'll kind of go back to a few of my different 
recommendations. And this is, I'm kind of, just so everybody knows, I'm kind of bringing this from a family of four perspective um, when we go down. Um, and real quickly, kid, this question, this to everyone that's asked me for restaurant recommendations, here you go. <laughs> this, this is the answer. <laughs> yeah. Everybody listen up and don't write about it for another few weeks. <laughs> um, no, we, my family, my kids absolutely love Japan. We love uh, Teppan Edo in Japan in World Showcase. Uh, the kids absolutely love it to the point where on our last trip I had to say, no, I want to eat somewhere else because we would eat there multiple times in one vacation if I, if I could afford it and I would, I would let them. So they, the reason we recommend that is the food is very, very good. It's very entertaining. My kids are absolutely fascinated with Japanese culture, so they really love it. Um, our favorite restaurant probably on property is Boma um, in uh, the Animal Kingdom Lodge, um, great buffet, probably in our opinion the best buffet on property. Um, we also really like, and in new restaurant that we really really love is Yak and Yeti in Animal Kingdom. I think the response to that has been pretty favorable. I know you've talked about it a lot, Lou, on the show that you've had some great experiences there as well. Yeah, I absolutely love Yak and Yeti, and obviously we're talking uh, about table service restaurants because you mentioned making ADRs we'll leave the counter service ones as far as theme parks go Yak and Yeti um, is definitely one of my favorites for lunch or for dinner Um, other places I think you should think about are are maybe places on the boardwalk Um, I enjoy Spoodles I love the flying fish and look around to some of the other resorts too take a look at some of the resorts see what maybe people in your party enjoy do you have people that like steak I love the Yachtsman Steakhouse if you're looking to maybe splurge, if you're looking to have a really nice dinner, California Grill at the top of the Contemporary can't be beat, especially if you can time it just right and catch wishes. I also love the Grand Floridian. I love both Narcusis and Citrico's, uh, very different restaurants, but again, uh, wonderful views from Narcusis, wonderful food in both places, the Polynesian, Ohana, and even, believe it or not, Jeff, uh, I really like Kona Cafe for lunch and dinner. Um, it's it's one of those places you might not think about as like a headliner restaurant, but the food there is very, very, very good. Then you just, um, you did recently a feature on the website about the um, sushi bar they were trying out there too, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I was able to try the sushi bar last time I was there and I was very pleasantly surprised. It's, it's a walk-up sushi bar. There's maybe a dozen or so seats right up at the counter, but you can also get anything that's on the menu in Kona Cafe while you're there. Now, it was only during a trial period that they ran for about a month or so. I don't know if they're going to continue with that or not, or if it was just uh, during that trial period. But if it's still open, sushi's very good. It's very fresh. And again, if you can't get into Kona for some reason, you want to, you're want getting off the monorail, last-minute dinner idea, you can go right up to the bar and, uh, and eat and also get a full drink menu as well. Just to also throw in there, Lou, kind of touching on what you were saying about getting out to the resorts, um, what you can really do when you do the resorts, and that's why I would really recommend something like Boma and Jico is the other signature restaurant at the Animal Kingdom Lodge. But again, at Wilderness Lodge, um, the Whispering Canyon Cafe is a great family restaurant if you're if you have your kids. And Artist Point is one of the best restaurants on property. Um, we've only eaten there. We've eaten there uh, two or three times, but only once for like the dinner. And it was the best, among the best food I've ever had on property. And it's interesting, I don't hear a lot of people talking about it, or it's, it's very rarely mentioned. But when I do talk to people that have been there, they absolutely say the food is some of the best prepared food in Walt Disney World. And my point was going to be that is when you 
when you make um, dinner reservations for these type of restaurants, especially Wilderness Lodge and Animal Kingdom Lodge, it's it's like an evening experience. I mean, you're not just getting the restaurant and the wonderful food, but you can then go and truly enjoy these places because at Animal Kingdom Lodge, there's so much to see in the lodge and you can actually go out and look at the animals in the savannah there. Wilderness Lodge is one of, you know, we, we spent, I think, an hour talking about it on a DSI <laughs> once. It is just a wonderful place to explore. And so you can turn it into an overall kind of an, an experience with dinner and just kind of a leisurely evening with just a lot to see and do. All right, Jeff. So I'm t- I take you on Backstage Magic. We've been out for seven and a half hours. You've got one place to choose on property that I take you for dinner that night, and it is... I will make you take me for a boat ride over to the Wilderness Lodge to Artist Point. Well, that sounds very romantic, and, I, and I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait, buddy. I can't wait. I'm so excited. <laughs> so, all right, that uh, that is unfortunately all the time we have. Not that we have any set amount of time, because my shows have <laughs> run long as they have. Um, but hopefully we got through a bunch of emails. We're able to answer some of your questions, even if it wasn't specifically from you. Jeff, I want to thank you for coming on. As always, Jeff's website, as you know, is 2719hyperion.com. You will be back for more fun and festivities in the future. Emails and DSIs. We have the last of the seven wonders to do, so we have lots of good stuff planned for the future. Thank you, buddy. It's always a pleasure being here. That's going to do it for this week's show. I want to say thank you again for tuning in. hope you enjoyed it. I also want to say thanks to Tim Foster and Jeff Pepper for joining me this week. Next week is the annual Magic Meets event out in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. I will be leaving to head out there earlier in the week, but I will have a show out next Sunday, I promise. Don't forget that if you can't get out there, but you want to make a donation to the Dream Team Project fundraising effort and auction that day, you can do so by following the link in this week's show notes or from DisneyWorldTrivia.com. Any donations that are made from the first giving site during the time of the auction will go to the totals for that day. So any help that you can provide would be greatly appreciated. While I'm there, I will also be sending live updates from the meet all weekend long via Twitter and on my blog. So check back there. I'm going to put links to both of those in the show notes. Oh, and speaking of updates, I've also posted in the show notes links to my Facebook page, and groups for the show, site, and audio guide. So if you're a member of Facebook, or if you've never been on Facebook before, you can go sign up and join. It's fun and it's free. Segwaying into another segue, the Adventureland audio guide is available for immediate download now, and it will be available on CD very soon. I am still accepting pre-orders for the CD. And if you want to see a video preview of the guides to either Main Street or Adventureland, you can visit the, the page over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com or on my Facebook pages. Thanks again to Jamie Kersey from VideoEars.com for his help on that. I also want to say a special thanks to everybody who helped me with the guide, including Dave Rashoni from DJR Music, who did the awesome intro music. And of course, everybody's favorite logo guy, Jeff Pepper from JP Digital Graphics and 2719 Hyperion for all of the amazing artwork. Jeff did all the artwork on Main Street USA and Adventureland. I want to say a big thanks to him. The guide looks great, and I'm really looking forward to getting the CDs out. Of course, don't forget, the Adventureland Challenge Contest is set to begin on Monday, July 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern. Visit WDWRadio.com for more information, as well as another set of sample challenges that you can look at this week. They are not part of the contest, but we'll give you an idea of what to expect 
you'll see from those the game is going to be fun and not frustrating. So I hope you all play and tell others about it. There are tons of great prizes and incentives to win, like Disney gift cards, iPods, park tickets, specials from our sponsors, and of course, the big winner is going to receive the VIP prize package, which is going to include six days, five nights at Walt Disney World at a deluxe resort, concierge-level access, Magic Your Way, park hopper passes for six days, Disney's dining plan, a $1,000 American Express gift card you could use for travel expenses, souvenirs, whatever you like, private round-trip airport-to-resort ground transportation, a private dinner for you and your three guests. That's right. This is not just for one person. This is for up to four people with Lou Cabana Boy Mangello. You'll also get personalized pre-arrival itinerary planning from Mouse Fan Travel. There's plenty of surprises that you that we're not even going to mention on this list. You're also going to get an iPod Nano, a digital camera, a prize package, and so, so much more. A big special thanks to everybody over at Mouse Fan Travel, All-Star Vacation Homes, and HiddenMickey'sGuide.com for sponsoring the contest. Visit the site over at WDWRadio.com for more information. Also, want to point you over to another podcast. Go check out Mouse Guest this week as I join Eric and Dan for a discussion about, what else? Adventureland. You can check out their podcast via iTunes or at MouseGuest.com. I have many more emails to come, but please keep your emails coming. If you have a question you want answered, a segment suggestion, anything else you'd like to share, email me at lou at wdwradio.com or call the voicemail, be on the air at 206-202-4WDW. That's 206-202-4939. Call with comments, questions, just to say hi from the parks. Again, I promise if I haven't gotten to your emails yet, I will get to it in the coming weeks. I promise. If you want to comment on the show or talk about it with other listeners, please visit the WDW Radio Show forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. There'll be a link on the WDW Radio Show homepage to take you right over there. And if you are excited about the Adventureland Challenge, please help spread the word. Let others know how they can play to win a truly magical vacation to Walt Disney World. I hope you all have a great week. If you're coming out to Magic Meets, I look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks again for tuning in. See ya! Hi, Lou. This is Ellen from Drexel Hill, a fellow Villanovan. My husband, Jim, is also a fellow Villanovan. We are so proud of you. We just discovered WDW Radio uh, recently, but we are big fans and have been listening religiously, waiting for it every week together. We love it, and we just wanted to call you right now and tell you how excited we are about the contest. Nice job. Again, we're so proud of you, and we love the show. Thanks.